So we've been uh, going through a series on prayer for three weeks, but last week we particularly started the Lord's Prayer, and we just unpacked that very first line, which is, Our Father in Heaven, this rich, rich line of um, this address to God, but also a proclamation and a call to remind ourselves and stir faith in us um, who this Jesus or this Father is in heaven. Um, And as we talk about this God, we spoke about in two aspects, him being our father, but also him being in heaven. And as we unpack the father aspect, it gives us emphasis of this idea of that Jesus and the father are extremely relational. God is someone in whom we are able to approach, whom we are able to have an intimate relationship with, someone who loves us with the fullness of love, with a steadfast love, with an enduring love, a love that does not fade. He is always present, always available, always listening. He is this perfect Father in heaven that we have, and He is intimate, and He loves you. And, uh, but Jesus not only just stops at our Father, But he also talks about the fact that he is in heaven. And this idea of in heaven is not just his geographical location, but it talks about his majesty. It talks about his strength, his dominion, his power, his his glory, his righteousness, his holiness. It's this incredible aspect of God, this this God that is unfathomable. He's he's infinite. He's, He's not dependent on us. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And it's this call to remind ourselves that as we come into his presence, we can't come in demanding, commanding, and telling him what to do because he does what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, and when he wants to do it. But when we take these wonderful true, true, these two truths and we apply them together, we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who does what he wants, but yet he chooses out of love for us to give us an ear, to come to our aid to listen to us and guide us and lead us out of a a fullness of wisdom and also fullness of love. Wonderful, wonderful truth. And if you missed that uh, sermon, I mean, it's a whole lot longer, you can catch it online on our our Facebook page or on uh, SoundCloud or if you've got podcasts on your Apple or your uh, your iPhone or your Android, you'll be able to find us and download that and listen to it as you run uh, to try to distract yourself with something. Uh, You can catch that up. And it's important for us to not fall behind on this um, because when Jesus, just in this previous section, tells us that we must not pray with a lack of meaning. We must be not like the pagans who babble and say things without meaning. And the irony is he goes straight after that and teaches us the Lord's Prayer, but many of us don't. We know the Lord's Prayer, but we don't know what it means. And so it's important for us to grasp its meaning in full. So we looked at our Father, but this evening we're going to unpack the next line, which is, hallowed be your name. Now this is different to our Father. It's not a statement or proclamation, but rather is uh, a petition. It's a request. In fact, it's one of six petitions that we are going to see throughout this prayer. And this petition is designed that we would put God rightly in his place by our worship, that we would elevate him, that we would make his name great in the world and in our hearts. This petition is given to us by Jesus to stop us from rushing into God's presence with our wishes and our wants and our desires without any regard to who he is in our Father in heaven and without any regard to his own agenda, which would be the first three petitions of this prayer. 
What Jesus is making sure is that we don't come with what we want first, but what God desires and his agenda. Now, it's the most natural thing in the world. If you've ever prayed before and have prayed for some time, would know the struggle of trying not to go to your needs first. Right? If, if you had tried to just start with our Father this week because you thought, let me give that a go, you would have known how difficult it is not to go, Lord, our God in heaven, would you please give me? Would you please help me here? May I have? Could you? We, we come with our requests that we want first. It's one of the most difficult things. And Jesus is helping us come, not with our own agenda, but with the Father's first. And another way to put it is Jesus is trying to help us not to rush into the presence of God to seek his hands, but to seek his face. That in my seeking his hands, I mean, we come to God with, can you do and will you be and will you do this? Uh, for us, but seeking his face, what we mean is we seek his personhood, we seek his character, his heart, his own agenda, and he has one too. And so it's important for us, and I'm going to emphasize this, that we come seeking God's agenda and not our own. And this needs to be always the case, in regardless of our circumstances that we find ourselves in, regardless of the job that we might do or how deep the desire is in our hearts that we need to ask God for, we must always come and start off with who God is and his own agenda before we bring our own. Now, again, I must uh, follow that up with, like I did last week, if you find yourself face-to-face with the shark, it's okay to cry out, Lord, help, that will suffice. Or someone gave an illustration this morning of being on a cliff with a giant snake and you've got nowhere to go. That's okay to cry out for the Lord to help you in those moments. But those moments need to be rare, and they aren't the norm. Man, if it's the norm that you see in a shark all the time, friend, don't swim. <laughs> and if that is you, let me know, because I'm never swimming with you. But they need to be rare occasions. Rare occasions. And if you're finding yourself regularly coming to God and putting your needs first because you think they're most important, may I be so uh, loving and gentle to say you're probably elevating your needs higher than they actually are. You're making them more important than they actually are. Because in all of the Christian life, there is no principle, there is no action, there is nothing that is more important than God and his own agenda. Nothing. So let's, let's make that there are uh, petitions that we might pray that are of the highest value uh, of praying for a family member that might need Christ, that we desperately want them to know Jesus. That still comes after God and his agenda. It probably is a part of his agenda. We don't put our own first. You might run a ministry and you've got this massive event that's happening on that day and you wake up and you've got so many worries of is it going to go well and right and are people going to have a good time? Is there going to be good fellowship? Is the message going to come around right? But yet still, we must not rush in even those moments to come and say, God, help me with this before we come. And we say, Lord, your agenda first and this is who you are. Even that. And you might say, but Joe, you, man, you're laying this on quite thick and, and you're making this more serious than it actually is. You need to calm down. But maybe you'll listen to a, one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's one of my new favorite dead guys. Um, he says this. It, it, on hallowed be thy name. It says, he says, it does not matter how desperate they may be. 
It does not matter how acute the tension. It does not matter whether it is a physical illness or war or calamity or a terrible problem suddenly confronting us. Whatever it may be, we must never fail to observe the order which is taught here by our blessed Lord and Savior. And he will go on to say that if we could just get this right, if we could pray prayers with having uh, focusing on God and who he is and focusing on his agenda, we will achieve so much more through those prayers than all the prayers combined that we would pray when we don't recognize and do those things. There is power and sense in following Jesus' order. Things happen and God does what he desires and his agenda is achieved. It is far greater than when our agenda is achieved. But man, we struggle at this, don't we? We battle with this. But Jesus fortunately and graciously tells us in this prayer, put God first. But he doesn't even just say it like that. He breaks it into three petitions. And we will look at all of those over the next couple of weeks. But we're going to look at the first one tonight. And that is, hallowed be your name. Now, the, what does it mean, hallowed be your name? Well, let's look at the word hallow. Hallow normally means um, to sanctify, to revere, to make holy and keep holy. But God is already holy, right? He is holy. He's perfectly holy. God cannot become more holy than he already is. We see this in Isaiah. It is demonstrated. He says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He says it three times because he wants to emphasize the perfectness of God's holiness. He is infinitely holy. He cannot become more holy than he already is. And we who are sinners cannot add to him in any way. So he's not asking us to make God more holy. We're not asking God to become more holy because he is already perfectly holy. So what is Jesus asking of us? Well, he's not even just saying, Lord, you are holy. But what he's saying here in this tense, in this text, is he's saying, Lord, be treated as holy. Be considered as holy. Lord, I want the world to see you as who you are. What have we just done? In the very first line of the prayer, we have considered and regarded and meditated and reminded ourselves and praised who God is. We have spoken about how he's father, how he's loving, how he's good, how he's perfect, how he's kind, how he's compassionate, how he's always there. But we've also spoken about his might, that he is great and powerful and sovereign and king. And we have displayed this wonder. And as we stir up in our hearts through praise, the, the wonder of this God, the natural response that leads often that is not give me but Lord may the world see this because you are great you are mighty you deserve not only my praise not only our praise but the world's praise they deserve you deserve to worship you we you deserve all their praise and worship and so it pulls in us this desire that God's name would be hallowed around this world, not only because we want him to be praised, but because as we experience this greatness of this God, we long that others might enjoy him as much as we do, and in doing so, give him glory. We desire that the world love him and honor him as much as we do. So that's what it means by hallowed, but what does the name mean? So what does name mean here? Because we even sang it tonight. Uh, your name will be victorious and your name, et cetera, et cetera. We, sp- we sang about the name. What do we mean by those when we use that word? Well, as much as uh, we might criticize the Old Testament uh, Jews, particularly for their failings 
and how regardless of how God displayed himself in might and power, they seem just to never obey, and they're silly, etc., etc. One of the things that we can commend uh, the Old Testament uh, Jews particularly for is that they had a really, really high view of the might and glory of God. They honored him greatly to a point that it was their custom not even to say the name of God, Yahweh. We assume it might be pronounced Yahweh or Yahweh or however. We don't actually really know because they didn't say it for so long that we lost the pronunciation. They revered him that much that they would not say it. Even It's even reported that Hebrew scribes, um, the early Hebrew scribes, when they were writing out and they came across the Lord's name, they would go have a bath and put on clean clothes and get a new pen. That's how much they revered the name of the Lord. So to avoid saying this name Yahweh, what they would do is they would, one, there would be other names they could use, but they also referred to him as the name And so when we talk about let your name be hallowed or we sing about how the name of Jesus is victorious and prevails and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it, we're not talking about the the letters J-E-S-U-S because there's some guy in Brazil that has that. It's not the letters that matter, it's who the letters represent. It's the the name of Jesus and, and God represents them. We're talking about his character we're talking about all that he is in the name of Jesus. So when we all say, Lord, we want the world to uh, honor and, and glorify your name, we're not necessarily talking about the letters as much as we're talking about who he is. We want God to grasp that. Let me, let's go a little deeper than that. In one of the names that God reveals himself to the children of Israel, there are a variety of them, but one of them that he chooses is the, the name um, Elohim, which means strength or power. And so when God comes to the people of Israel and he gives them this name, it helps them understand, one, that God is strong and he's powerful and he has dominion. He is strong. He rules. And so it gives them a confidence in their God, knowing that no one can take him out because he's more powerful than all the other gods in the area. And he is strong. And another name that we see through Moses through the burning bush, and this is uh, this great and wonderful name, Yahweh, which means I am what I am or I am who I am. Which one Lloyd Jones again? He says it gives it has the meaning of the self-existent one. He is independent from us. He's mighty and strong. He doesn't depend on us. He does not need us. He does what he wants to do. And out of this word Yahweh, there comes a variety of other names. <clears throat> excuse me, that reveal more and more about who this God is. The the name Jehovah Jireh, which is a, a Latinization of the word, means. What? The Lord will provide. Another one that comes from that is the Lord heals, or the Lord our peace, or the Lord our shepherd, the Lord our righteousness, the Lord is present. All these names encompass who God is, and there are many more. And so when we ask that the world would know God in his name, that there would be hallowed and there would glory in it and honor him for his name, we're asking that he would be hallowed, not in just in a random general sense, but in these particular aspects of him, that he provides, that he heals, that he is our peace, our shepherd, our righteousness, and our presence. But may I suggest to you that they can never glorify God in those things without coming to know Christ. 
it is impossible for the world to honor and glory God as their righteousness if they have never come to know Jesus because Jesus is their righteousness. It it is impossible for the world to come to know God as the shepherd if they do not know the good shepherd. It is impossible for the world to know that he provides if they do not know Christ. It is impossible for them to know that God heals if they have not met the one that heals us from all our death and our sin. They will not know this God as their peace if they have not met the Prince of Peace. They will not know this God who is present all the time if they have not been reconciled to the Father through Jesus. And my friends, if you do not know Christ and you're sitting here this evening, I want you to know that you cannot enjoy all these wonders. It's available to you, but you cannot enjoy it and know it without Jesus Christ. As Dave shared with us this evening, there is a veil over our faces and it will be removed only when we see Christ clearly through the power of the Spirit. And when we do, there is life. There is love, there is a provision, a healing, a peace in which you long for and cannot find in this world, a shepherd who will guide you through the hardships of life, a righteousness that transcends your own and will reconcile you to God, and a God that is always present, always available, regardless of what situation you're in. That is what is available to to you through Jesus. And so when we pray this prayer, and ask that God's name would be hallowed. We long that the world would know Christ because in him the full access of the Father is there. And only when they experience his presence, experience his righteousness and peace, can they truly honor him. Because without him, it's just words on a paper. Without it, it means nothing. And what is expressed in this in this petition is a burning, deep desire that God would be glorified and honored in all people. As we read the Gospels, we see that this was the passion that consumed Jesus. You cannot understand Jesus' earthly ministry without understanding that he was consumed and passionate about the glory of God and that all men would glorify him. And we see this in, in, in John 17. It says, I have glorified you on earth. This is Jesus talking to the Father in his prayer, in his high priestly prayer. I have made manifest your name to the men that you have given me. He goes and says, I have not come to seek my own glory, but the glory of him who sent me. It was Christ's purpose and desire that all men would glorify God and know him as such. That's why he came and that's why he died so that we might know the Father and glorify in him, because in that comes a purpose and a life that nothing else that this world can give us. So what do we do with this? Because this is, this is what it means to hallow God's name, is that we, we desire that the world would know him as such. And it's important for us to understand that when we pray this, we not only are requesting of God that he would glorify himself in all this world, but we are making a pledge and a commitment that we would be a part of it. Because, and if you don't mind me saying, it is ridiculous to think that we can ask God that he would be glorified in all the world with true desire and passion and yet not commit to be playing our part in it. And yet commit, not commit to glorifying God in our lives. 
Because surely we are part of this world. Surely we want the world to know Jesus in this way. And so we make a pledge that we say, Lord, we are accountable to you, that we will hold and gl- hold this name and glorify it. And by accountability, I mean we are obliged to give a reckoning or an explanation for our actions to God. When we pray this prayer, we say, Lord, I am going to commit in every area of my life. And, and what this requires is, is a, a real intentionality. This doesn't come haphazardly. You see, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's not something we pray and then forget. It's something that we have to then go on and apply in our lives and think about it throughout the day. Because if you've ever gone through a normal day, you'll probably find you glorified God a whole lot less than you would really have liked to. You need to be intentional in seeking out and thinking, how can I, in my day-to-day activity, as I go with, run with my mates, as I do work during the day, as I interact with colleagues, as I drive down the road, as I gym, as I have conversation with family members or play with my kids or watch them play sports games or whatever it might be, we have to be intentional in these areas going, how can I glorify God in this area? It does not come naturally. We have to be intentional to glorify God in every aspect of our personal life. Every aspect. Let me highlight that again. 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Every area of our lives. So that's what it means, and a pledge that we have made, a solemn promise that we have made to the Father, and it's in every area. But let me just highlight briefly one or two things that I feel around the name of God that you and I need to be careful about. We need to be careful about misusing the name of God. We see this in, in uh, uh, Exodus 20, verse 7. It's the third commandment. It says this, you shall not misuse the name of, your, uh, of the Lord God the Lord your God. Now, this here is on a basic surface level, just looking at it means we should not use the name of God in profanity. We shouldn't use it as a swear word. We shouldn't use it as a joke. It shouldn't be uh, something we say in surprise when someone tells us a shocking news. It's something that we have to guard our mouths that we don't use the name of God, oh my God, or Jesus Christ as something that we say now and again without any meaning at all. Now, I am not saying we should become like the Jews of the Old Testament. I think that is way too extreme, but I'm saying as I look around the church and interact with Christians, often I find that we use the name of God too loosely in our conversations. And, and it's important for us to just even guard our speech, one, because it reflects our hearts. What comes out of our mouth shows our heart, and so that's something that we have to guard against. But two, if we don't take the name of God seriously and use it seriously, then how can we expect the world to ever honor him and glorify him and take him seriously? But having said that, this commandment is so much deeper than just using God's name in profanity. It includes dragging God's name into certain situations to advance our own enterprise to win an argument, to get out of things, to to say, oh, but the Lord told me, so that's my trump card, conversation done. And it's a dangerous place to be. Now, Now, obviously, there are moments when God does tell you something, 
and you've prayed about it and you've sorted through and you come to someone and say, man, I've, I've, these are the scriptures I've found. I feel this is what the Lord's laid on my heart. And so I'm, I'm stopping this or I'm going to continue doing this or I'm leaving this to do this, whatever it might be. Those are real moments and things that we can do, obviously. But there is a danger that sometimes we want to pull out of, say, a ministry or we don't want to attend something anymore because it's pretty boring. And so what do we say is, oh, the Lord told me I need to stop. And we use the name of God lightly to have a trump card to win. Closes that conversation, right, because no one can ever come back because the Lord's told you and who am I to disagree with the Lord? And you need to be wary there. At, at the same time, there are moments when sometimes God, as we see in these services, gives us a picture or a word to share with the congregation, or even with a particular person. And, there, and, there, and I, I just want to, again, reemphasize that when we come to these things, we need to be humble and just realize our weaknesses and the possibility that we've heard wrong and our, our fallibility. And we come and we say, and I think this is what the Lord has said. Use it, don't use it. There's a humility. In, but when we come boldly, and when we come confident, and the Lord has said, and we say it like that, friends, what often happens, which might be true, but the, the things what happens is often people glorify you because the Lord's speaking to you rather than glorifying the Lord. And even in that statement that we say, the Lord has said, the Lord has told me this, we can take the glory from God as we make ourselves look good rather than God. And so just to summarize this briefly, we are called to honor and glorify God. And so in this prayer, we pray, Lord, would all the world know you in entirety? Would they know you in all that encompasses you? And in order to do that, we are praying that they might come to know Christ. But when we pray that we are making a pledge as we have sung, man, that last song, to the ends of the earth, we weren't, we weren't just singing a song, church, we were singing to God. We were making a pledge. We were saying, to the ends of the earth, I will carry your name. I will carry all that encompasses you. I will take that to the world. Man, such a bold prayer to pray. I felt like we could have ended there as we sung that song. But that's what we're doing. We're making a pledge.